Welcome to another episode of Thinking Biblically. I'm Jeff Norris, senior pastor at Perimeter Church, and with me on this episode, uh, joining me again is Caleb Click, and Caleb serves here as our pastor of spiritual and theological development, and uh, we are excited to be able to come share some thoughts with you again, and um, and hopefully at some level uh, be able to give something that is uh, encouraging, uh, maybe also clarifying. Uh, hopefully not more confusing, uh, but uh, speaking to some hard issues from a biblical perspective and even from a pastoral perspective. And so that's what we hope to do in these podcasts each time is to help us take some things that are going on in the world around us, in the life of the church, in the life of our culture uh, as a whole, not just the church culture, but American culture, and just speak into it in such a way that would drive us back to uh, thinking biblically as it were. And so this this podcast, um, you know, we think about all that all that we've been dealing with for twelve months. You, you go back to last March, and it was at this time that everything began to uh, to kind of just uh, blow up with COVID, and the the shutdowns began to happen very soon thereafter. And then uh, I won't recap it all, but we know we know that two thousand twenty and into even the beginning of twenty one has just been a uh, one event after the other of difficulty and lots of opinions, and whether it be around uh, issues of race and ethnicity uh, to political divisiveness, uh, just in many ways, um, just unrest on so many fronts uh, as it pertains to pandemic, how, how should people be responding, masks, so on and so forth. And... Um, there have been no shortage of opinions and perspectives and blogs written and things tweeted and articles written and all kinds of stuff um, about how Christians should respond to all of this. How should we be engaged? Um, and so maybe we can speak to that at some level today. And, and the way that, that we want to frame this is to, to ask a couple of questions, really one main question. And and it would be basically be this, in, in light of all that we've been walking through, uh, is there one particular message, is there one particular thing uh, that we as the church, as followers of Jesus, need to continue to hear because we so quickly forget it? Is there is there something that we could say, okay, if we can just continually remind ourselves of this over and over and over again, I need to hear it, I need to remember it. And even if I've heard it a lot over the last 12 months, I need to keep hearing it because it's so important, so crucial to what the church is and who she is, who she is to be in the world. Um, and so that'll be the question that we're trying to tackle today. And not so much, uh, I'll just give this one caveat, then Caleb, I'd love for you to jump in, but not so much in terms of what should the church continue to uh, to hear and believe in the way of uh, our theological Grid, because the answer to that question is we need to continue that what I would say is the most important thing is we need to continue to believe day after day uh, that we serve a sovereign, benevolent, loving God who is in control of all things and who is working all things for his glory and for the good of his people. And to believe that, to believe that every day, to fight to believe that every day, uh, and that despite whatever our circumstances may say, um, he's on his throne and that he loves us more than we could ever imagine uh, through Jesus. And so there's there's that that's a given. 
that is a podcast in and of itself. But I'm thinking more along the lines of how, what is it that, that Christians need to be hearing continually over and over and over again uh, because we so quickly forgive it, uh, forget it in the way that we live, in how we live outwardly, both to fellow believers and to the world around us. What do we need to keep hearing? What what do we so quickly forget? So, Caleb, I'll let you take a stab at that first. Obviously, I'll chime in, but uh, let's frame it that way to to begin with. Man, it's such a small question. So, I know, so easy I know. to answer. Yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> I think one, one way to maybe approach this is, uh, you know, when I, when I went off to seminary, um, I was really deeply influenced by a, a Christian thinker by the name of Francis Schaeffer. Um, he was uh, a cultural apologist. He was a guy who had a ministry called Labrie in Switzerland that uh, did a lot of work with uh, people that would be seen as n- not even being uh, on the fringes of the faith, but just far outside of it and being able to have gospel conversations with them. And one of the things that uh, he brought up as kind of the the ethos of his entire ministry was this idea that when we pursue the Lord's work, uh, we're to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And that that line has has stuck with me for years because you think about like, you know, what, what does that mean? Like what what was the Lord's way? Mm-hmm. You know, and you look at the life of Jesus. Well, I mean, he sums it up himself, I think, in Matthew 22. He, you know, they, the religious leaders come to him and they say, you know, what's, what is the greatest of the commandments? And he says, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And you look at Jesus's life, everything that he does uh, is driven by those two realities, love of God and love of neighbor. Um, he, he personifies love in the flesh. Um, you know, we think about, we, we preached a few weeks ago on, on John 1, and we're talking about how in Jesus we see grace and truth in the flesh. He, he is always grace and always truth, both at the same time in every situation with every single person. There's never a moment when he's just grace and never a moment when he's just truth. He's always both. And so if we're going to think about what love looks like, I think you could do worse than looking at it as an idea of it, it is grace and truth married together in intimate union as we see them in the person of Jesus Christ. And all right, so I'm, 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 I love that. I think yeah. it's great. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if I'm a listener right now, I'm going, okay, I've heard that so many times over the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, why do I need to devote the next however many minutes that we're going to sit here and talk about this to listening to a podcast who's just going to tell me something that, I've already been hearing over the last 12 months. I'll answer my own question first. Sure. Instead of throw, I mean, you can certainly speak to that. But, <laughs> but I would say, okay, stick with us because even as, as I tried to set the question up, it was from the framework of, uh, yeah, we, it's what we already know. It's not about, do you know it? Have you heard it? It's, are we living it out? And that's yeah. part of the issue. And I see it in my own life. I mean, I'm not pointing yeah. the finger at anyone. I, I see this, this, um, this battle that that we face, that I face every day, where uh, to live out through the power of the Holy Spirit, what I know is true versus what I'm actually living out. Am I loving the Lord, the God, yeah. Lord my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And my neighbor as myself. And I go, okay, yeah, I know that's the greatest commandment. I know that Jesus personified grace and truth and mm-hmm. in all of its perfect form. And I know that Jesus lives in me now. Yeah. And his spirit empowers me to be Jesus imperfectly as it is mm-hmm. uh, in this broken body and, and 
before, you know, before we're glorified in heaven. But to live that out is, is the struggle. And so how do we, what, what does it look like for believers to not just say, okay, yeah, I know, I know, I know, but to live it out. And let's try to get, if we can, um, let's try to get as specific as we can with that, as far as, you know, what does it look like for the church, for those within the church, followers of Jesus to, to love our neighbors, um, to love our God and love our neighbors in a way um, that's profoundly impactful and not just more, you know, whatever banter back and forth that, uh, that we've certainly had a lot of. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when, when I think about, um, even when I think about what, what's going on right now in the, in the context of the world, um, that we live in. And I think about everything, probably what I'm feeling most right now is the continued dialogue that has died down at some level, but it's still there uh, that you would just define as political divisiveness. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much something out there. It's in the church. Yeah. There's this political divisiveness within the church. Um, What does it look like for Christians to interact over that topic? How do we engage with one another? What are, what are ways in which we just need to be reminded, hey, this is how we this is how we move towards one another in the in grace and truth. What do you, what does that look like? Hmm. What does it look like? I think, well, it, this may be a bit of a rambling answer, so I, I may be meandering my way towards the truth here. Uh but I, I think one of the things to look at in that is is to you know, you think of the words of First John, you know, and by, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I mean, one way to, to approach this would be to first to remember the kind of love that we were shown in Jesus. Mm. Um, he loved us while we were still sinners. He, he didn't love us when we were perfect. He didn't love us when we were slightly reformed and we'd kind of started fixing or even just felt bad about our behavior. He, he loved us when we felt absolutely no affection for him whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, that should breed in us incredible humility. Mm. You know, I think of, you know, when Jesus interacts with people, um, he's the most humble person on the planet. Yeah. You know, he's, he is God in the flesh, and yet he is, he's never speaking in a way that's self-aggrandizing. He's always constantly caring for people where they're at in the midst of their suffering and, uh, <clears throat> and acting as though in some ways they're more important than he is in that moment. Mm. Um, that should impact the way we think about our interactions with other people in the world. But on top of that, we have to be further humbled, I think, by the fact that, like, it's by grace we've been saved. Mm-hmm. Like, J- Jesus was humble and he didn't have to be. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we should be even more, I say this, we should be even more humble because we, we didn't do anything. Christ saved us, he redeemed us. And I think one of the things I think of in this era of political divisiveness is. I just think we need a good dose of humility mm-hmm. and, and remembering that uh, our hope is, is not in our level of knowledge. Our hope is in Jesus. And I, and I think if, if we're all really honest with ourselves, if our hope is in our knowledge, we're all in a lot of trouble because mm-hmm. we're dealing with imperfect knowledge in this life at all times. Um, and, and that comes to any subject. I mean, you think about, like, I know that everybody has something in their life they're probably more expert at than others. Like my wife is a CPA. I trust her with the books. I don't trust myself with the books. That's not my area of expertise. Uh, But she has a limit in that knowledge. It only goes so far. Um, Just as like you and I, we spend all of our time studying theology and the Bible, but my knowledge only goes so far. There's a limit. 
Well, I think when we engage with people, one is remembering that all of us are in uh, at different stages of sanctification, uh, and there are times when we think we know things and we think we're right and we're not. I was just about to say that I think the the part of humility, one of the aspects of humility that I don't think I think about enough, yeah, and and don't apply enough, and I see it all around me as well. But I want to start with me, right? Yeah. You know, like let me let me examine my own heart. Is is living with the very real, genuine consideration that I could be wrong? Yeah, right. That the opinion that I hold about said conversation, whether it be political or whether it be, you know, whatever, everything's being politicized these days. So it yeah, usually yeah, is yeah. going to fall into that category. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Right. Maybe I. Maybe. And and if that's the case, then how does that shift the way in which I, I approach the conversation? Yeah. How does it shift the way in which I view the person yeah. who's on the other side of that conversation? And is there a posture within me that would actually seek to learn yeah. and understand where they're coming from? Well, I think right? that's what it is to be a wise person. You think about in the right. Proverbs, right? Like what the wise person is the one who seeks counsel, which, which means you don't just ask a question and hear the answer, but you actually have to be willing to be corrected by that answer yeah. and to absorb that maybe what you thought before isn't true. Otherwise, you're just the fool. Right. Like you're the person who's asking for an answer you don't actually want and is refusing to learn by it. Like yeah. one of those is godly wisdom. One of them's not. Right. And I think that's, that's part of the issue that I, I'm seeing right now. And I see this in myself. Like I think of how many conversations I've had in the past year where I like walked away and went like, oh, yeah. I, I should have done that differently. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I think that it, But we, do you know, you know why we do that? Because we all do it. Yeah. Right. It's because we want the other person to come to the table with the consideration that they could be wrong, yeah, but not me, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. I mean, that's if we're just being honest, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. that's where we we want that approach from the other person, yeah, because we want them to realize that they need to be corrected, right? <laughs> yeah, but but am I coming with that same posture? If I'm yeah. expecting them to come with that posture, am I coming with that posture? Yeah. Um, now, truth is truth. Yeah. Right. In terms of biblical truth. Yeah. Like when we talk about truth and grace and that Jesus personified truth and grace, he's living in us. Of course, we know what truth is in terms of certain aspects of, of just doctrine. Yeah. Right. And we know that. We know what God teaches on uh, how he created man and woman and their design sexually and all these things that we'd say, yeah, it's very clear biblically. Yeah. Uh, how we have those conversations, though, how we enter into that in let's say the political framework of of a dialogue with yeah. with a neighbor even that's a big that's where it becomes like okay what how am i approaching this right yeah. am i just am i just coming with grace and never bringing up what the bible teaches on it or am i only coming with truth yeah with very little grace and if there's not a posture of humility then we got a problem altogether right not that yeah. i'm you know and, that, and this I'm, i may be speaking out of two sides of my mouth because and I don't mean to, but what I'm saying is this: is that there may be a there may be an opinion here that someone else holds that I know is contrary to what the Bible teaches. Sure, right. And so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say, hey, I might be wrong about this doctrine that I know is very biblically true. What I may be wrong about, though, is I may be very wrong about my approach of how I'm engaging this person. Now, I may hold a political belief that's informed by the Bible, but that I can't just 
clear as day back up with scripture, but yeah. it's but it's informed by the Bible. That's where I'm saying, oh, well, I, yeah, I mean, the application of the biblical truth, I may be wrong on on how I'm applying this yeah, and yeah. how I'm trying to to live this out. Right? Does that make sense? No, it makes absolutely. Sense? Yeah, I think yeah. I, Keller is really good on this, where he talks about how like. You know, when we look at the Bible, you want a picture of the kingdom of God. I mean, you can look at the law. The law gives you the shape of the kingdom yeah. in a good way. It's showing you what life is supposed to look like. Now, the the problem when we read that is that the law is also, in the Old Testament, written for a, a theocracy, the right. only real theocracy that God has actually ever established. We don't live in that world. Right. So how do we apply that, both in our lives as the church, which is a, a one level where you're going, well, like, well, we all need to... Uh, submit to the same authority that Jesus Christ had, but then also in a world that doesn't believe in that authority, yeah. right? Like we live in a society where people believe very different things. Well, how do you bring those principles to bear in a way that cares for them, loves them, doesn't sacrifice the truth, but while also leaving open the, the reality that the way you apply that biblical truth in a modern context, there's going to be a degree of, uh, shall we say uncertainty. Or when I say uncertainty, I don't necessarily mean there's not a right or a wrong. What I mean by that is it's just more difficult. And there's going to be even Christians who have differences of opinion on what the best way to go forward is. Mm -hmm. You might say, have the same belief. We all believe that like uh, life should be preserved. Right. But the different ways you go about trying to do that may look different. And and part of that's just because of our context. Yeah. I'll give you a great example of that, that I I realize I'll go, I'll preface it by saying that um, I, I may be at some level, stirring, kicking up a hornet's nest a little bit here, but I don't, I, that's not my intention. It's more of a just as a as an illustrative purpose. But uh, in one of my seminary classes um, back in the day, uh, we had this real interesting dialogue just kind of happen in class one day, uh, where our teacher presented a situation that uh, involved just a, um, uh, and I'm, I think it was, I think the class was actually on Christian ethics, okay, and you know how how are we to engage with with issues that are hotly debated within our culture and whatnot. And uh, so anyway, we were presented with an issue where uh, a particular person was in, it was in a lifestyle of sin that biblically speaking, we would all agree with. No matter where you are uh, generationally, no matter where you are uh, in, in a lot of different categories that the world may try to define you, as a Christian, as a, uh, as a, as a born-again believer, everyone in the room, we were all in agreement that yes, the Bible clearly defines that as a sinful lifestyle. What was interesting though, and, it, and in this particular case, it was very much, the, the dividing line was, was generational. Yeah. It was age. Uh, I would say there were somewhere probably around four or five, maybe six people in the room that were 50 or older. And then the rest of the class, it was a fairly small class, uh, maybe seven or eight others were all in their 40s or younger. And what was really interesting is that the nature of the conversation came where uh, became such that uh, the way in which you would engage this person in a sinful lifestyle, uh, the older generation came at it from the standpoint of those who were 50 and above said, well, you've got to speak truth to that person. And it was very truth heavy. Mm-hmm. You've got to call them to repentance. You've got to help them see uh, their sin by speaking truth. And then those who were younger in the class came very much more from a very uh, heavy grace orientation where it was, well, there'll be a time and a place for speaking truth, but you've got to come with grace. 
with care. They need to know you love them before you speak truth to them. And it, and it became a very, at a point in the conversation in the class, it wasn't a conversation, it was a straight up debate. And it got heated uh, to where uh, there were two particular people uh, on each side yelling at each other. And, and, and it was such an eye-opening experience for me to see it's not always such a clear delineation between an older generation and a younger generation. I don't want to make it that it's always age. Yeah. But in that particular instance, you saw this huge generational gap of the contexts in which we were raised up in mm-hmm. and the things that we were taught in our, uh, perhaps even in our churches about here's how you engage this issue and this person if they're living in this way. And it was very much heavy on truth on one side and heavy on grace on the other side. And then, yeah, what what wasn't there, though, to get back to what we're talking about, I'm giving that as an illustration to say this, what wasn't there is I didn't, in hindsight, not in the moment, in hindsight, I look back and I go, there wasn't a posture from either side of learning from the other, right? Of, mm-hmm. of the younger generation saying, you know what? I don't think I would approach it the way you're approaching it. But like, okay, hold on, let's, let's lower our voices, let's calm down, and like, okay, help me understand more where you're coming from. I, I don't want to make assumptions here. I want to I really hear you out. And then the same thing, older generation, same the younger generation. Okay, I, let me hear you, right? And, and maybe I'm wrong here. I, gosh, I, I might need to be more grace-centered in this and vice versa from the younger generation. So that's what was missing, and that's what I'm seeing replicated all over the place right now. You know, I think that's that's such a, a good illustration because I think it kind of it gives you a window into something else that's that's happening. It goes back to that humility thing. As you think about those, those the divide you experience in that room, that in that particular instance, maybe not in every instance, but in this particular instance, it was an age gap. Thing. Right. Like part of that is because between those generations, the culture has shifted dramatically. Mm-hmm. So the world that you grew up in influences the way that you're going to, one, read the Bible, but two, see it apply in a context. Mm -hmm. So if you've got one generation where maybe that thing was just an assumed cultural thing, Christian, non-Christian, you all assumed this thing's wrong. Yeah. Full stop. Well, you're going to respond to that differently than if you're from a younger generation where those things are no longer assumed. And now to engage with that, you don't have this cultural foundation, shared cultural foundation that allows you to just step right in and say, well, obviously this is wrong because you can't. Mm-hmm. You, you actually, the only way you can bridge that gap is through relationship. Right. It's through friendship. It's through developing rapport. That person knows that you care for them so that they're actually able to be challenged. Mm. Um, and you see that and it kind of, again, shows where, and that, and that goes into another direction too, is that on the one hand, you can go, well, wait, how is my background influencing the way I'm interpreting the situation? The other side could go, well, are there, there's also, I think about this as a younger guy myself, like, are there things where maybe because of the culture that I'm living in, I'm less likely to challenge because I've absorbed some of that too. And maybe I need that. I need to be pushed and go, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm too uh, apathetic yeah. on that or too slow to speak. Um, and that goes both ways, but I can, you know, from my perspective, but I look at that and I go, man, there's a good reason to go, man, we need humility in these conversations yeah. to recognize that none of us are objectively coming to the text and then subjectively applying it. We're yeah. all doing this as creatures formed by the cultures in which we were raised in community. And, and that influences the way we 
read and, and experience these things. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and just for those of you listening, just to know that Caleb and I are certainly trying to make every effort we can to live out what we're saying here. Yeah. And it is, you know, we're, we, uh, we're going to be sitting down soon. I don't know um, when this is going to drop, so I'm not going to give you a time frame. But, but we, we want to sit down with some, some older, uh, I say older, they, <laughs> I, I want to be careful with that, um, that is with some people who are older than we are. Uh, who are members here at Perimeter Church. And, I have arthritis, uh, Jeff. So You what? I have arthritis. You do have arthritis <laughs> at a very young age. Um, so, I feel yeah, old. You, you, you are old and maybe not in years, but in other ways. <laughs> um, but we're sitting down. We, we've made, we want to sit down with some people in, who are older than us who, um, yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't say that we necessarily disagree with, but who are looking at things a little differently than maybe perhaps we are. And we just say, hey, look, can we just sit down and talk? Like, I think that'd be really healthy. Um, and we can just share our hearts and we can listen to one another. And, and so all, all that to say, just that we're, we're, we're really seeking to live this out. We don't want to just let this be a podcast and, and not be, not be uh, seeking to do the same. Um, yeah, go can ahead. Can I toss in one more thing? Just sure. as we were talking about like earlier, the, the gap between, we all say we know we, we're supposed to love, right? Right. But then the, the disconnect between head and heart and action is is sometimes it's you know it's only a few inches in terms of our bodies, but it's a million miles in terms of practice. Yeah, I I think one of the things that is is so important in this is the continuous practice of, of repentance, mm. and I think recognizing those moments where we failed, uh, confessing them to the Lord, uh, but also repenting to the people and confessing to people against where we've wronged. Like if we've had those conversations where we just walked away and we just butted heads going back and going, you know what? I handled that poorly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and leaning back in to the grace of our Lord Jesus so that we would be again, I mean, I think this is the key thing. You can't love like Jesus if you haven't experienced that love. Mm-hmm. And, and when you yeah. go through the practice of, of repentance, of confession, of repentance and faith and confession and assurance, which we do every Sunday, uh, you are more and more realizing your dependence upon the love of Jesus that was given to you before you ever loved him. That is an infinite love that does not change and has accomplished for you everything that is required. And I think the more we find ourselves going back to that, the more we're going to be shaped in kind. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. And so again, keep, keep connecting to this, this overall theme that we, we try to aim for in these podcasts thinking biblically. We should probably call it living biblically as well, mm-hmm. right? Um, because our thinking shapes how we live. Our hearts determine what we think, so forth. Uh, and, and so even in this whole kind of um, category here that we're thinking of, like, what, is, what does the church need to hear over and over again? What do I need to hear over and over and over again? Um, and really, if we, we could sum it up just where we are in the conversation at this point, Caleb, is what you say, humility, yeah. right? Godly, Christ-like humility, Um filled with grace and truth. And so, okay, I think about that. Okay, where do we go biblically? Where's our, where, where do we, where do we anchor? Well, uh, we talk about this verse a lot. This is a verse that's come up a lot over the last 12 months, at least in my heart and life is, is uh, right there in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Uh, we're actually recording this the day after I preached um, uh, and I use this verse to kind of talk about how the glory of Christ that he had, uh, he, that, that Jesus had, the, the son had this glory with the father before the world began and that there was some element of that glory that he forfeited that, 
It doesn't mean that he wasn't fully divine in the flesh. It just means that there was some element of that glory that he forfeited mm. uh, to be humiliated, to come in humility, humility. And as the verse says, uh, to make himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, there it is again, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And, and, and so how did that verse start, that passage? Have this mind among yourselves. Yeah. Have this same mind among yourselves as that of Christ Jesus, who, who forfeited some element of glory that's mysterious to, to us. What does that look like? Well, it was significant to come in human flesh so as to experience the, humi- the humiliation of the cross for the sake of others right? Yeah. And we're to have that same mind. Yeah. It's the, uh, the, the Richard Sibbs line, you know, she'll, she'll, uh, God be humble and man be proud. Yeah. It's like, right. If, if, if God himself in Christ can be humble, then we have no room for thinking for a second that we have legs to stand on if we want to be proud. Amen. Amen. And you know, what's interesting is you pull a thread further down that passage, you get to, um, you get to Philippians 2, uh, after the part that we usually read, like we'll, we'll, we'll read the part of yeah. uh, after he humbled himself and says, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is by every name. And then in the often quoted verse of so that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord. Um, but you, if you keep reading, it's interesting. You get down to verse 14 and some of the outworking of this. So the, so the action, what, is the, what does it look like? That's the question we're asking. What does it look like to live out a lifestyle, a heart, a mindset of humility like Jesus. All right, well, here it is. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, uh, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom, listen to this, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So there's this connection that's so beautiful between the humility that we're to carry because of Christ in us that mimics his humility that also plays out is that we're lights in the world in a mm. crooked and depraved generation. Wow, th- that's pretty profound. Like that, bl- that blows my mind a little bit because we often think that what we most need to do as the church is hammer uh, the, the, the depraved and crooked generation with, with truth sledgehammers, which of course we need to speak truth. We need to proclaim truth. But what's most important? Humility. The humility of Christ to love like he loves with grace and truth and to be selfless to the, uh, to the extent that others are, um, are lifted up. And if Jesus is the truth, then if we're preaching truth without grace, it's not actually truth. Mm. And if Jesus is also the one who embodies grace, then if we're preaching grace without truth... It's not really grace. Those things have to be together yep. at every point. Else, it's not the truth of Jesus Christ. Yep. They're undeniably tied yeah. together, right? They, they. It's kind of like even as we've talked recently in some of our sermons, uh, you, you don't get Jesus as Lord, as Savior, and not Lord. Yeah, He's the whole package. Yeah, right. And and so the same thing with grace and truth. Um, and so, go back to my illustration in the seminary class. You had the younger folks in the room that were trying to espouse a whole ton of grace with very little truth. You had the older people in the room that were wanting to espouse a whole host of truth without grace. I want to be careful here that I'm not saying that all yeah. people of the older generation are 
only concerned with truth and all people the younger generation only concerned with grace just in that instance that's how it played out yeah um uh, so humility huge for us to keep to remember the humility of christ and how that humility comes out in grace and truth in our lives um let me let me ask another question uh or maybe not another question but maybe another answer to that question is all right what is it one more thing perhaps that we could say this is what we need to keep hearing over and over again. We need to keep coming back to this. Um, I'd say that uh, one one other thing I'd add to the conversation would be this. We need a renewed uh, and robust uh, understanding of the nature of the kingdom of God. And I, I see often... In, in the dialogues that have been having, the conversations and even the monologues <laughs> that we see on, you know, social media that, that some folks are putting out, uh, there, is a, there is a good intention, a very good intention that is being expressed that we should be good citizens of America. That's great. I, I long to be a good citizen of the country that God has placed me in. Um. I always count it as a great joy and privilege to vote, uh, to be very prayerful and led by the Holy Spirit in that endeavor. Um, and I care deeply about my country. I love my country. I love that uh, I get to raise my kids in, in this country. Uh, what I'm also seeing in that good intention is a not so good and even if played out too far, a very dangerous uh, mixture that begins to happen between the kingdom of God and the success of America, uh, the flourishing of America. I want America to flourish. I want America to be quote unquote successful. However, we have to be incredibly care careful as kingdom people uh, that we are good citizens of America, but that we are faithful citizens to the kingdom of God mm. and um, and that there is not there is not a promise anywhere in the Bible that you're going to find that ensures uh, the longevity and 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 flourishing of America but you will see written all over scripture all over scripture the promises of the uh, of the eternal reign of the kingdom of God yeah and um do I long for things to go sour in a way that would not behoove Christians in America? No, I don't long for that. I don't want that. However, um, I also know that America is not our hope. And I know that uh, God does promise. <laughs> when you start talking about promises, you start getting into some really uncomfortable promises that Jesus made very explicitly, that if you're going to follow me, there will be tribulation. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, we have we have examples throughout church history, really even early on in the Roman Empire, of where God's people were beginning a, to attach in an unhealthy manner to that earthly kingdom. And then when it fell, there was great confusion. And I'm not saying that America is going to fall. Please don't read into my words. I'm just thinking back to when Rome fell. And Caleb, we were talking about this earlier, and you made a really interesting observation that that prompted even what Augustine ended up writing is... Yeah, in the city of God. In the city of God, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, you know, it, it's interesting is that we come to these points in history where we 
in some ways, and they're never exactly the same. It's almost kind of like one of those little like spirals where there's interlap and not exactly uh, they they overlap, but it's not complete. Yeah, it's similar um, but not same. Yeah, similar right. but not the same. Right. Uh, you know, but, but in Augustine's era, uh, you know, Rome was falling to the barbarians, and Rome was perceived in the eyes of most Christians as representing the kingdom of God on the earth. And so when Rome began to fall and the barbarians began to flood the streets and people began to uh, to die and that power began to be diminished, that earthly power, people thought, well, does this mean that the kingdom of God is falling? And and uh, and Augustine said, you know, there are two cities. There's the city of man and the city of God. And sometimes there can seem to be an overlap, but in the end, there's only one kingdom that will stand. And that's the kingdom of God. That's the city of God. And, you know, I think when I think about our situation in America, uh, one of the things I think we need to be very careful to remember is that we're in a situation that is more similar to that of Israel and Babylon than it is to Israel and Zion. Uh, we are in a city uh, that where we are exiles. This is not our home. We're to seek the welfare of that city, as Jeremiah 29 tells us, uh, and that means being a good citizen. It means seeking its flourishing. It means sacrificing for the sake of our neighbors, even if they are not willing to do the same for us. It means loving our enemies. Uh, it means wanting to, to, to see that country develop and grow and flourish in the best absolute way possible. But it means also remembering that is not our home. You know, our citizenship is in heaven and our life is in Christ. And he is our king and not a political party, not a president, not a, a senator or a politician or a political position, but Jesus himself. Um, and I think that's an important thing to, to, to hold fast to is, is that remember, we are citizens in exile, waiting for the kingdom that has come and is coming and will one day come in full. You know, and the, and the two words that come to mind, you know, we'll just wrap up here for, for this episode but I think there's two words that are that are that are so tied to when we think about are we are we a people who, as we examine ourselves in a posture of humility and going, okay, wait, have I have I tied the kingdom of God too much to the yeah. kingdom of America, you know, as it were? Um, and as we if we're willing to very as as objectively as we can ask ourselves that question, uh, then one way to maybe decipher where I am on that is, do I find myself in a place more of hope or of a place more of fear? Mm. Um, and I'm, I, I think what I'm seeing a lot in the lives of Christians is I'm seeing this, this reality where I'm seeing a lot of fear of what, uh, what could happen in America. And listen, I, I share concern. Absolutely, uh, over some of the things that uh, that could and might take place, um, and that are taking place at a certain level. But if if my if 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 my grounding, if my anchor is in the King and His Kingdom, that will prevail, that is unshakable, then there is a there is an ever present hope that is within me mm. that should be coming out. And I don't always love using that word should because then that makes people feel guilty, but it's the reality. If we're anchored in, a, in, the King, in King Jesus and his kingdom, that regardless of what's going on and wherever God has placed us, there is a, there's a hope that permeates us. Uh, if there is a sense of fear that is 
predominantly present in your life, then I'm going to suggest to you uh, that it might be because, or I might be so bold as to say it is because, there's an anchoring that is going on, not enough in the kingdom of God and too much in the kingdoms of this earth, in our case, the kingdom of America. And that's not of the Lord. We don't live in fear. We live with great hope because we know the story. We know how it ends. We know yeah. our king and we know the nature of his kingdom. So um, we got to remember these things over and over and over again. Preach the truth unto ourselves um, because it's so, as we started this podcast, it's so easy to forget. Mm. And so uh, we'll stop there for this episode. Uh, thanks for joining us. There's so much more that we could uh, we could talk on. One of the things that we'll talk on in a coming episode that maybe I'll just uh, entice you with now to to perhaps lure you back if it interests you. But we'll we'll continue a similar conversation in our next episode where we're talking about the current cultural um, kind of uh, climate and all that we're dealing with and how that's playing into some people living out of fear uh, and how that's playing into wrong beliefs of the end times, wrong applications of how's it all going to happen? And is this, are we, are we in the end times and what is that going to look like? And, and uh, it's what, what we call eschatology, the, the study of the end times and how this conversation that Caleb and I are having today, uh, how does, how does that even bleed into that? So that'll be where we're headed in our next episode. Until then, we are very grateful that you took the time to listen and we're very grateful for you. And we pray God's rich presence in your life and that you would know the love of Jesus like never before. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.